Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bold Sidebar. This is your host, Jeff Horn, talking all things New Jersey Supreme Court. One thing I've been meaning to say in every show is just to make clear that this podcast is in no way sanctioned by the New Jersey Supreme Court. This is solely my words, my work, and if I get it wrong, it's my fault. If I get it right, it's the New Jersey Supreme Court, all the fine lawyers that appear in front of the court, and all the resources that I'm able to muster to throw at you guys on the podcast. But no one in Trenton has approved this, and nor has anyone complained that I'm doing it. Hence, I'm going to continue to follow an important rule. Sometimes better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. I suspect if I ask somebody in the Supreme Court or in the bar, if you're allowed to do this, it would take a couple of years to get an answer. So we're going to keep doing it and having fun doing it and appreciating everyone who's participating as a guest or as a listener or as a supporter. So it's the 14th of November, and the court has had a little dry spell in terms of churning out opinions. The last opinion was dropped on October 6, 2021, a good month before the gubernatorial and state senate elections. And uh, that was, of course, my favorite case. Those that have listened to the show know I uh, remain transfixed on the State v. Michelle Wadzinski case, also known as the disappearance of Timothy Wiltsy case now, a 30-year-old disappearance and case. And in that case, again, the court granted rare, rare relief in the form of reconsideration, allowing the defense to argue again in front of a seven-justice this panel, Chief Justice Rabner recused himself from the Ladzinski case. Of course, the chief doesn't have to give a reason, but it's clear that the FBI was involved. And at the time, Justice Rabner was serving as a deputy attorney general. And it was, I assume, was in his office and somewhere underneath his umbrella of responsibilities. But again, that's unofficial. That's just doing the math. So, Ms. Ludzinski will get one more crack at trying to get a new trial, trying to get her case reversed before a seven-justice panel with an appellate division judge, presumably senior appellate division judge Fuentes being elevated for the argument. So that leaves me with a couple other fun things then to talk about. One, as I've often mentioned, I'm a huge fan of the book written by retired and now deceased Justice Daniel J. O'Hearn, What Makes a Court Supreme. So I'm going to give you a chapter on that. But before I get to that, I want to talk about the election. Elections have consequences. And this year, the consequences are that the long-serving state Senate president, Senator Sweeney, has been defeated in his re-election bid. So you're going to have a big shift in the state Senate leadership. And how do we get judges and justices in this state? It is the state Senate where the action is the hottest. So Senator Nicholas Scuteri has been the chair of the Judiciary Committee for a number of years. And recall, we spoke about this before, because we've got a uh, justice vacancy coming up. And but for the persuasive arts, whereby Chief Justice Radner 
convinced Justice Lavecchia to hang in until the end of 2021. Recall she was retiring at the end of August 2021. She hung in here for the fall while the Senate debates and votes on nominee for the New Jersey Supreme Court, Rachel Weiner Apter, who has been waiting now for a number of months, I'm sure continuing to do good work as a uh, deputy attorney general. So we've got that going on, and that will presumably reshuffle the deck. The vice chair of the Judiciary Committee is Senator Nellie Poe, as far as I can tell, a non-attorney with long, long history in government service, who will be elevated, I'm going to assume elevated to the chair, and also will be elevated to the uh, chair of the Democratic Caucus. Senator Scuteri is your next Senate president once the class of 2021 is sworn in in the legislature. And Senator Ruiz becomes the majority leader. So lots of changes at the top in New Jersey State Senate will certainly have an impact on judges and justices. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how fast the nomination of Rachel Weiner after will be taken up. Which gets me to what makes a court supreme. Justice O'Hearn served for just about 20 years, August of 1991 to May 23 of 2000, when he aged out. He had replaced Justice Mark Sullivan, another Monmouth County lawyer and judge, who, bit of trivia, went back and tried cases in the trial court after retiring from the Supreme Court. We've got a big history here of our justices and judges serving the judiciary post-retirement, also serving the alternate dispute resolution community post-retirement. That was a pretty big example when you have a Supreme Court justice come back and literally sit on the bench and try cases at the trial level. Locally, here in Ocean County, we've got retired appellate division judge Robert Fall, who had been the presiding judge of family prior to his elevation to the appellate division, and has come back and done the same and tried many cases to relieve some of the backlog born of COVID. Prior to that, he was helping out in the general equity part, working on resolving loads and loads of the foreclosure cases that had popped up following the 2008 economic collapse. So let's get right into the book. It's a, it's a short book. It's a fun book. It's a combination of Judge Justice O'Hearn's notes that he took over the years, his observations. He was also a collector of everything from doodles to memos, and he hung on to a lot of stuff, and he wrote this book post-retirement about the Wilentz Court. Importantly, the Wilentz Court stayed together for almost 10 years, 1985 to 1994, same group of justices. So you can imagine that you're going to create a rhythm within a group of justices all of whom were top-notch. The Supreme Court at the time included Chief Justice Robert Wilentz, Justice Alan Handler, Justice Robert Clifford, Justice Marie Garibaldi, 
Justice Stuart Pollack, of course, Justice O'Hearn, and Justice Gary Stein, who is still out practicing. He was on the podcast earlier in 2021, and if you refer back, you'll be shocked. I believe Justice Stein is 87. He's working every day, and most recently in support of advancing the desegregation of the New Jersey school system. Latino Action Network is one of the plaintiffs in that case. So that case is still going on. Justice Stein steers the ship and raises money for that cause. And you can imagine it's going to make a dent in that issue. So let's get right into Justice O'Hearn's book, and in particular, the chapter that starts with a discussion of Chief Justice Robert Wilentz. He was born February 1927 and died July 1996. He served on the New Jersey Supreme Court from August 10 of 1979 to July 1, 1996. He resigned early because of his failing health and expired just a few weeks later of a terrible brain cancer. He replaced one of my faves, that is Chief Justice Hughes, Governor Hughes and Chief Justice Hughes. He replaced him. And of course, we've got multiple shows that deal with Chief Justice Hughes and the fine book written by Professor Weffing from Seton Hall. So lots of good stuff there. Chief Justice Wilentz has so many accolades. I'm going to just try to hit the highlights. First, you probably know this. If not, it's good trivia. His father, David T. Wilentz, was the prosecutor who prosecuted Bruno Hauptmann, kidnapper of the Lindbergh baby. That's 1935. So Justice Wilentz served in the Wilentz firm, which of course has been in existence for pushing 80, 90 years now, and then was elevated to the Supreme Court nomination by Governor Brendan Byrne. Brendan Byrne asked lawyers who was the best lawyer in the state of New Jersey, and people told him Robert Wilentz. So not a bad place to start when you're considering installing a justice and a chief justice to follow governor and chief justice use. So let's deal with some of the cases that came up in front of the Wilentz court, some, some of the biggies, and I'll read a little bit from some of these cases from the highlights shared by Justice O'Hearn. These are, these are not things that I picked out. These are what Justice O'Hearn picked out. So the authority is inherently reliable. So reading from the book, this is Justice O'Hearn regarding the chief. He would not allow the judiciary to become a tool to suppress societies less fortunate. The chief justice had the courage to enforce the Constitution when its guarantees were ignored. He said quite simply in Southern Burlington County, NAACP v. Mount Laurel, now these are the chief's written words, there being a constitutional obligation, we are not willing to allow it to be disregarded and rendered meaningless by declaring that we are powerless to apply any remedies other than those conventionally used. So that, those words and the power of the Mount Laurel cases, of course, ripple through society, uh, not without controversy, but they go back to Chief Justice's core beliefs that we owe a duty 
and that uh, the court would not shrink away from a duty because it would likely be unpopular. And don't forget, I mean, Justice Wolven comes from a distinguished family, a wealthy family, and, and yet made his stamp on social issues with the, we just call it simply the Mount, Mount Laurel cases. Of course, there's been so many Mount Laurel cases. It's, it's kind of like the Rocky movie. It's always in litigation, but it's an important issue and foundation for our state's affordable housing policy. So many big cases that have a continuing effect on the law and on society include Baby M. This is the surrogate parent case, and we discussed this at length on the podcast with former State Bar President Tom Curtin, who was a guest on the Bold Side Bar in 2019. Tom Curtin certainly calls it the most important case of his life and maybe the most important case ever. And he's not alone in that finding interesting that case goes, you know, we're talking back 25 years ago or more, 1993, 94 in that area. The law continues to evolve with statutory schemes that address how surrogacy contracts can be set up to protect all the parties, all the contracting parties, which the Supreme Court and JBM said, we don't like babies being subject to contract law. We want the child's interest to be primary. Motherhood is an important issue and cannot simply be contracted for like we were hiring a, a contractor to do a home improvement. So BBM case, very big. Doe v. Poritz, of course, Poritz was, at the time, Deborah Poritz was the attorney general of the state of New Jersey, and the challenge was to Megan's Law, which requires sex offenders to report on an ongoing basis where they live and essentially to be on probation for life, as it's referred to in the statute and case law, community supervision for life. I'll give you a little taste from Dovey Poritz, Chief Justice Willens. We remain convinced that the statute is constitutional. To rule otherwise is to find society is unable to protect itself from sexual predators, that the remedy has a potentially severe effect, arises from no fault of government or of society, but rather from the nature of the remedy and the problem. Under the Wilens Court, we also got social host liability. Kelly v. Gwinnell, now really fundamental policy that if you're a host and your guests drive away drunk, liability can apply. Also, dealing with the Gulf War, New Jersey Coalition Against War in the Middle East, the JMB Realty, interesting case, essentially finding that the shopping mall had become the town square or the public square, hence leafleting and proselytizing and, concern, and concerning uh, government and, and uh, policy issues has to be permitted reasonably, of course, reasonable time, place, and manner restriction. However, that cannot be excluded. Now, it's funny, my two cents on that, having nothing to do with Chief Wilentz, who was, of course, around way before social media, that social media is now the public square and the place where so much of this dialogue occurs. I'm sure there'll be case law to back that up. For us lawyer listeners, Madden v. Township of Del Rey, 
the right to counsel for indigent defendants and pro bono appointments. That's another issue that's always hotly debated. So lots of super interesting cases. I don't know between Mount Laurel and Abbott v. Burke, which has a bigger impact on society. Both are very huge because they are big policy issues that then filter down to each of our 565 municipalities and 600 plus school districts. I'm going to read to you a bit from Abbott v. Burke 2, Chief Justice's words selected by Justice O'Hearn. It's a little long, but I don't see how I can cut it down any further than Justice O'Hearn did. So this is the chief. Thorough and efficient means more than teaching the skills needed to compete in the labor market, as critically important as that may be. It means being able to fulfill one's role as a citizen, a role that encompasses far more than merely registering to vote. It means the ability to participate fully in society, in the life of one's community, the ability to appreciate music, art, and literature, and the ability to share all of that with friends. As plaintiffs point out in so many ways, and tellingly, if these courses are not integral to a thorough and efficient education, why do the richer districts invariably offer them? The disparity is dramatic. Alongside these basic skills, districts are school systems offering the broadest ranges of courses, instruction in numerous languages, sophisticated mathematics, arts, sciences, at a high level, fully equipped laboratories, hands-on computer experience, everything parents seriously concerned for their children's future would want and everything a child needs. In the richer districts, most of which have some disadvantaged students, one will also find the kind of special attention and education help so badly needed in poorer urban districts that offer only basic skills training. If absolute equality were the constitutional mandate and basic skills sufficient to achieve that mandate, there would be little short of a revolution in the suburban districts when parents learned that basic skills is what their children were entitled to, limited to, and no more. Well, we know that the chief is exactly right about that. And this debate continues. There's always excitement regarding the school funding formula and hand-wringing about resources that flow to perhaps a poorer district. And now they've got some brand new facilities and buildings, whereas a district in less distress is uh, laboring with an older building, older facilities. So that's a fantastic summary of how we got to where we are a bit in the Abbott v. Berkland. And as I mentioned, Justice Stein continuing that battle. That's it on the cases. Um, so many charming tidbits in here from Justice O'Hearn. I will leave you with this. Just a little nugget from a speech that Chief Justice Wilentz gave at the graduation ceremony of the William J. Brennan Jr. American Inn of Court when he told the young lawyers, get to know as many people as you can possibly get to know. All kinds of people. Talk to them, eat with them, drink with them if you are so inclined. Just get to know as many people as there are. In that way, 
you will understand more about people and more about life, more about things that people think about, and you will be a much more capable lawyer. Fantastic words, important words, and, and words that have echoed through so many of my bold sidebar interviews. Thrilled to share this little nugget from the fine book that I really have enjoyed reading and rereading, What Makes a Court Supreme. So thank you to our late Justice O'Hearn. And I'm going to sign off. If anyone has any tips, cases coming up in front of the New Jersey Supreme Court, please get in touch with me. If I'm missing something, get in touch with me. It's not hard. I welcome the feedback from people that have been guests, would like to be guests. Interviews are the most fun part of this process. In the meantime, I will keep plugging away. Thanks for your patience and enjoy.